You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right. Welcome back to another episode of... Uh, Tomahawk Nation's Hoop Dedicated Podcast. I am Matt Minnick, all as always joined here by Michael Rogner. And and Michael, today is October 25th of 2020. And aside from that, meaning that we are still somehow in hurricane season here in North Florida, uh, with, with another storm possibly bringing us rain next week. Uh, what do you does October 25th mean anything to you? Well, it's it's a it's a week after my birthday when we we picked up that big win on my birthday against North Carolina, and I guess it's one day after having all the air come out of the out of the football yesterday, where we just got embarrassed by Louisville. So happy to be talking some hoops. Yeah, and happy belated birthday uh, to you, sir. And and yeah, I guess uh, Louisville took out some of their hoops frustration on us on the on the gridiron, but. But really, so what October 25th means is that we are exactly one month from the start of the college hoop season after what feels like probably the longest, uh, the longest off season in memory. We're one month away. How about that? Well, that I, I, I'm going to have to go to sleep early, like, like on, you know, Christmas Eve night to, to, to make that month pass a little quicker because I, I am ready for a sport that we're good at. Yeah, no, Christmas come early for sure. Gonna gonna start uh, racking up some wins again and, and have a home court that hopefully we can defend as we have uh, the last couple of years. So, uh, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of, over the next month, we'll have a lot of uh, preview, season preview type of materials up on Tomahawk Nation. 
Um, we have a good episode today uh, for folks joining in here. It's, it's the one month out episode. So we're going to be talking uh, FSU's sort of like starting and or finishing lineup because because oftentimes it's not exactly who starts, but who finishes for Coach Hamilton. We got some recruiting talk coming up uh, and, and as well as some NBA draft conversation as that actually happens before the season starts. So it's going to be coming up on November 18th. But first, we are going to have just we're going to get everybody just set the table here, set the Thanksgiving table with a little bit of just a general ACC conversation. And for that, we are joined by our good friend, Aria Masudi. Uh, Aria is a is a play by play sideline talent uh, to kind of do it all guy. You, you probably have seen his face in Dope Campbell a few times and and maybe you've heard his voice. Uh, doing play-by-play for the women's basketball uh, team there for Florida State. So, Aria, welcome to the pod. Good to have you. I mean, it's good to be here, and it's, um, thanks for having me, and uh, good to have this time with with you two. And um, I feel like it's almost uh, like a dream pilot episode. I think we've all, <laughs> all three of us wanted to be on a podcast together, so here we are. Yeah, well, sometimes you just gotta you just got to make it happen. Uh, for folks who don't know, Aria started when, when he was back at Florida State uh, University as a student. He kind of started off uh, his career helping out Tomahawk Nation in some things. And so it's great to have him uh, come, come on this and, and join our, our fun discussion. And so I'm just going to, um, you know, Aria, you are in a position where you see, you know, you cover a lot of the ACC teams here. So um, I'll just hit you off with a good one off the top. Last year, Florida State was at the top of the ACC. I mean, 16 and four, most ACC wins ever in school history, uh, probably poised to do big things and and finished as the the ACC champs, both the regular season and the tournament that didn't happen. So who's at the top this year? Is is that Florida State? Is it someone else? Like who's that tier one look like? I think Florida State's definitely in that tier one. And um, Matt, I think a lot of people are high on Virginia, and I think for good reason. When you defend the way that they do, you have to think their offense will be a little bit more efficient. You know, now with Kahay Clark being a little bit older, they've got, um, you know, shooters, Walden Tensei, who really came on at the end of last year um, in ACC play. And then you add Hauser and um, you add some different pieces. That's a team that I, I really like. Uh, maybe they won't be flashy, but as always, Virginia finds ways to win games. And um, I actually thought, Matt, that, that a lot of people were sleeping on Virginia by the end of the year, if you could do that. There, there seemed to be, you know, especially the Florida State fan base, we were also enamored with what Florida State was doing. We forgot that Virginia really kind of went on the longest win streak to end the season. And um, that team was scary and could have made a pretty deep run in the NCAA tournament. So if that carries over for them, which I think it does, I think Virginia is probably the team to beat in the ACC this year. And as I mentioned, they they added Hauser. Uh, from Marquette, who is awesome and, and could challenge for ACC Player of the Year honors. Um, I think Duke, they, they tend to reload, and until K has a season in which they are not Tier 1, they will always be in Tier 1. I know they added like three more top 15, top 20 uh, prospects um, in this last class. And I think Florida State's right there, that third, and then maybe Louisville, maybe North Carolina, four and five. But again, I'm not sure what Louisville will do. They lost some key pieces and I, I just, people are higher on Louisville than I think I am. Uh, I do think David Johnson is a stud, but what about around David Johnson? Like, what are they going to do around David Johnson? So um, that's a question mark in North Carolina. I think used to have that 
uh, Coach K, Duke, automatic tier one. You would just peg them because you thought they'd always reload and they have reloaded, right? You know, you got Bako back and um, and you got some some bigs in that center, the, the talent, I believe, uh, Walker, maybe Kessler, if, if that name is is correct. He's in there now, but last year they had a lot of talent too. And I think we saw for the first time a, a coach, Roy Williams team that did not have that chemistry that, that you usually see. Um, I tend to think North Carolina will be fine this year. They will be back in tier one, but I'm not hundred percent sold on it. So that group of four to five to me is battling for tier one. That's let's uh, that's a great, great overview. Uh, and I think there's a lot right there that we can dig into a little deeper. So let's, let's set Louisville and UNC aside for just a second and, uh, and focus. So, and, and we'll, maybe we'll set Florida state aside too, because this entire podcast is dedicated to Florida state. So let's look at uh, Virginia and Duke, you've got Virginia, which is really, you know, the sort of get old, stay old motto. And you, you know, they, they are bringing back a lot of talent. They're adding talent and, and the talent that they're adding was actually on campus practicing with the team all last year in Hauser, who you mentioned the dynamic transfer from Marquette. And then you've got Duke, which is losing Vernon Carey, you know, losing Trey Jones, losing uh, some other, other, other talented freshmen. And then, but reloading with guys like Jalen Johnson, who maybe is the best freshman coming into the conference. I don't know. Maybe Scotty Barnes has something to say about that, but Jalen Johnson, certainly a stud plus several others. Uh, and so Aria, and then maybe uh, Michael get your thoughts too. Would you rather be, would you rather be coaching the team that is the get old, stay old, or just loaded with elite NBA lottery talent, but maybe didn't have as much time in this COVID off season to gel. I think, you know, for me, and then I'll, I'll toss it to, to Michael. I think I like the, the get old, stay old. I think we've seen in college basketball specifically, you're not guaranteed to make a final four or win a national title on pure talent alone. Um, I mean, you can point to all those Kentucky teams, the Duke team with, you know, lotto pick after lotto pick with uh, with RJ and Zion. And, and I mean, they just didn't make, you know, they didn't make a, a championship. Game. Like, it's just like not guaranteed. But I think it's guaranteed in college basketball. If you have an experienced backcourt and you've got seniors, you've got a chance. I mean, let's point to Florida State a few years back when they made the Elite Eight. Like, that was an older team that just figured it out. Because at the end of the day, if you compartmentalize the NCAA tournament, it is just a tournament you're pretty much playing a different season. And so older kids typically tend to handle that stage better. So for me, Michael, uh, I think I would rather be in Virginia's shoes right now with Tony Bennett than in Duke's. Yeah, I, I, I agree with, with Aria that Virginia's probably the team to beat. But if, I, if I'm coaching, it's tough to turn down Duke. I mean, they, they got nine guys who are top 50 recruits. You know, Virginia has one. Duke has five five stars. Virginia doesn't have any. So the the ceiling for Duke is probably quite a bit higher than it is for, for Virginia. Virginia's floor is, you know, probably like tenth in the country or something. So they've they've got a really high floor. Um, but you know, as as I said, if I'm coaching, I'm taking Duke just because of of the all the pieces that Coach K has to work with. You know, it's it's he's he's typically has more five stars than the rest of the ACC combined. That's a little different this year because of North Carolina. Um, but he's just he's got more talent than any any ACC roster, and he's got he's, he's got a ton to work with. I, th- I think you both make great points, and what I'm hearing y'all kind of it sounds like you're saying that the Virginia roster and that style 
of roster is is just it's going to get you you are based, you're making the tournament. You're probably going to have a high seed. If you're going to bet on one team to finish with the best regular season record in the ACC, that's probably the one. And from there, it's like, hey, let's just go out there and see what our experienced guys can do in the tournament, right? In a one and done setting. And the Duke style is more just like in a, in, a, in a single game, our guys are just better, right? Like we just have better talent. Is there room in the middle? to have maybe not nine top 50 guys, but uh, three, let's say, or four, which is more than Virginia, but also be a bit older and have some of that experience. Is there room in the middle in college basketball? And if there is, is that sort of where Leonard Hamilton has Florida State headed as we look at not only this year, but maybe just peek a little bit ahead to, to next year? Aria, you want me to start that one off? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, no problem. Um, yeah, you know, I actually, you took the words out of my mouth. As you know, when you were starting that question, Leonard Hamilton's name popped up in my mind. Uh, last year was probably the prime example of where Florida State was. A couple of top fifty kids. You had some lotto picks. I know Devin Vassell wasn't the quote unquote, uh, you know, five star talent or top fifty kid when he came in, but I mean, by the end of the by the end of his sophomore year, he was better than most of them anyway. So you have some talent, you have some seniors. I do think, I do think Leonard Hamilton can prove that. And I think we've actually seen that at times with um, some Michigan state teams where they're just, Izzo has a couple of really good players. I mean, heck guys, UConn did it a couple of times with some yeah. studs and Kansas. Uh, just teams that, yeah, Kansas, they just teams that just gel um, around two or three absolute studs. So yeah, I think there's room. And I think that, that may, the tournament, the, the March Madness makes that possible to have that type of team because you're not playing a best of, you know, a best of seven. This isn't LeBron uh, versus the Heat where, you know, if you're the Miami Heat, you're thinking, hey, if you get two, congratulations, pat yourself on the back because uh, AD and Braun are not losing uh, four games to anyone. But this is college basketball. And so I do think there's room for that. And I do think, you know, Matt, you nail the you hit the nail on the head. Florida State can be that program. But I also wouldn't doubt Florida State taking that next step forward either. So just keep an eye out for that. And, Michael, I'm interested to hear your thoughts. Yeah, Michael, can we be yeah, the goalie I mean, I, team? <laughs> I, I, I agree with, with what you guys are saying. I think the, the one point that I would, would add is that you, you can't make a living long-term off Devin Vassell and, and Fiondu and yeah. bringing in these kind of friends, three-star guys that turn into NBA picks. And so at, at some point, in order to be that team, Florida State has to ramp up their, their recruiting, which for the 20 to 21 class is there. I mean, that, that's exactly what we're looking for is we're going to have a very experienced group of guys um, you know, polite and and Raekwon Gray and and Calvin but you know all those guys. You know they're they're going to be around. Scotty Barnes is not going to be around. MJ Walker is not going to be around. But we're going to have a group of experienced guys and then some really young, uh, you know, exciting talent coming in. And that that kind of puts us into that position that that you know Matt you were you were setting up for this question is we are we are the team that that is getting old and staying old, but also if you want to win national titles, you got to bring in that young talent. And, and that's what, that's where, that's what Ham's been able to do for 2021. Um, hopefully there, we, we have no more defectors like Bryce McGowan's or he somehow comes back, but even without him, that class is loaded and, you know, very, very much uh, to look forward to. And then this year we have Scotty Barnes, you know, he might, he's probably 
you know, the best freshman in coming into the ACC, which is not a position that Florida State is, is used to being in. Um, and someone from North Carolina, Duke, will win freshman of the year, obviously, because of the way the votes are cast. But, <laughs> but, uh, but Scotty Barnes is, is going to – everybody is super excited about him, and I think that he's probably going to exceed people's expectations. Yeah. Well, let, we will uh, – and, and so you're, you're, you're getting into that recruiting and starting finishing talk, which I, we're going to get into even more. Let's go back because, Aria, you had sort of mentioned UNC and Louisville. Maybe we won't talk quite as much about them as we did Duke UVA, but two squads who are uh, so UNC, I guess we call them sort of like Duke light in the sense that they are bringing in a, a stacked class. They have uh, some, some returning talent as well. Garrison Brooks is, is still there obviously. And he had a good season last year. And then Louisville uh, maybe he's like UVA light and that they're sort of like get old, stay old, but they, because of the recent coaching change recent as in like the last couple of years, they're not quite as old and, and established in their system as UVA. Uh, David Johnson uh, seems like a pretty uh, strong talent to start a roster off of. But who do you see as maybe, let's just look at the regular season only. Who, who do you think can be the better, the more consistent and have that better regular season record in the ACC? Um, I think North Carolina will. I, I know that I said that I'm not confident that they will, but if you're asking me to pick, I actually don't think Louisville will be as good as people think. I think they'll still be a, you know, a, a tournament team, but that's like a six to eight seed in my opinion, uh, unless David Johnson like wins ACC player of the year, which he's more than capable of. Um, Carolina, I, I can't believe I forgot to, to mention Caleb Love, who's coming in. Um, he's awesome. His highlight tape is ridiculous. And the fact that they got um, Armando Bacco, uh, Kessler, that's going to be a really, really, really good front court. Um, Roger kind of alluded to it, that they have a lot of talent. So, I mean, yeah, last year could have been an anomaly for them, and I'm willing to bet that that is the case. Um, and Brooks, when, when Cole Anthony went down, Garrison Brooks was awesome. I mean, he was really what people are probably projecting him now as like that ACC player of the year or whatever that some of these early season projections have. They saw what he did when um, when Anthony was out, and I think he had like 30 against NC State that one game, um, which really you know moved his his prognosis up. But that Carolina team is going to be really good, and I think Roy has a little bit of an older team now, and we've seen in the past Roy Williams with older talented teams um, that usually turns out okay uh, for him in Chapel Hill. So. I think Carolina will be a little bit better, but Louisville, you know, we'll see. I mean, Samuel Williamson has to take a step forward. Uh, Malik Williams is a nice piece. Um, and Carlos Jones was a good transfer. It feels like Louisville gets a, a pretty good transfer every year. So, yeah, I mean, they could be good, but losing Jay Scrub, I think, was huge. Having yeah. him declare was, was massive. So give me North Carolina. Give me North Carolina. But I do think those two end up being four and five in the ACC, one way yeah. or another. Jay Scrub, the JUCO, the JUCO, who's the number one uh, JUCO player in the country that decided to just go straight to the NBA. And he'll probably be drafted. He won't be a first-round pick, but he'll probably be drafted. So, Michael, let's. I'm going to stick – I'm going to make a editorial decision here and stick UNC in tier one. So we've got a Duke, Virginia, Florida state, UNC in tier one, and I'm going to stick Louisville in tier two. So uh, who should join Louisville in that tier two world uh, in, in that sort of like, Hey, they could, they can definitely get a buy in the ACC tournament, but I don't know if they can actually contend to have the best record in the ACC regular season. 
Yeah, Louisville might actually be alone in that second tier. Although, I, personally, I put North Carolina in second tier, but that's just me. Um, but who, who else is? I mean, Georgia Tech. People yeah, forget Tech. they finished what fifth last year in the ACC. Yeah, they went eleven to nine. They've got Jose Alvarado <laughs> coming back. They they they've they've got a they've got an outside chance to to somehow be good despite. Uh, what they look like on paper. Um, but I don't really see any, but, you know, NC State, Clemson, no. Syracuse, no. Miami, no chance. I just, I just, I just don't see Notre Dame maybe has Yeah, what about Notre Dame with some, with some of the guys they have come back? Yeah, he's kind of the original get old stale coach. And he's, you know, he's, so he's, he's getting to the point where he's got some guys who are like 23, which is where he's comfortable. Um, and, and, they, and they've got, a bunch of top 100 guys on their team i think they i think they've got six or seven but they haven't really they haven't really panned out the way that maybe you'd hope that top 100 guys do so i you know i just don't see any other team that i would say yeah they can go head to head to head with louisville and so does that mean aria are we looking at instead of one tier one tier two i was going to ask well how big is that gap but is it really more like there's sort of tier one and then tier three and, and is that what we're looking at, Ari? I think you're probably – yeah, I think you're right. And I, I love that you guys brought up Georgia Tech because any chance I get to talk about my boys in Atlanta, uh, I love doing it. Um, that's a big year for Passenger, by the way. Um, they don't really have the money to fire him, I don't think, because they're still – I believe they're still even paying Paul Hewitt <laughs> for the time that he had with his buyout and all that. Um, it's like Bobby Benilla Day for the Mets. Gregory. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just like the, the Georgia Tech does not have this money right now for basketball um but they do have some beautiful facilities um so they could find the money i'm just saying uh, georgia tech has that experience now as you know as, as michael mentioned alvarado's a really good college point guard um michael devoe has a chance to be an acc first or second team type player he's yeah he is really coming on and i've had a chance to watch their practices and he just gets better every time i go up there um to cover their games so um, that's a team that that to keep an eye out on. I'm a little higher on Miami than than Michael is. I think I think Miami and Larinaga have proven, you know, he does better with older teams. And this is like, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is as old of a team as he's had, I think, in a while with likes and McGusty. Um, they should be solid, but I agree with Michael that they're not anywhere near like a tier two. Um, so yeah, I think Matt, to your point, you're you're right. I think it's tier one with uh, Virginia, Duke, Florida State battling it out. And I think North Carolina, Louisville are just kind of on the fringe there of, well, let's see how their season goes um, and then everyone else. Yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you, the Hurricanes, you know, if you told me that – I don't want to wish injury upon anybody, but if you told me that Chris Likes decided to opt out uh, for COVID or something, I I actually think I would become higher on the Hurricanes than I am with him Mm -hmm. playing. I mean, he's – he's an exciting guy in terms of uh, like individual plays that he makes on the court, but he's such a defensive liability. And, and despite being someone who could be the ultimate like playmaker and facilitator and penetrate and kick, he insists on taking these really difficult shots that aren't efficient. And, and I just, I honestly think that uh, who's the guy Wong for them and, and Beverly, Mm -hmm. I I think they're both better. If I'm Larinaga, it's hard to bench the senior, but I don't know. I think they, they would be better without likes, but so let's, let's start to, I think the hurricanes are a good starting point. We, we sort of talked here one tier two last year, believe it or not, you know, the ACC with 15 teams, if, if there was a March madness probably would have only sent five teams to the NCAA tournament. 
maybe a sixth could have snuck in if they had a deep run in the ACC tournament, uh, but probably would have only sent five. So what is the bottom of the league look like or the middle to bottom with the Syracuses and the Miamis and the Clemsons and the Virginia techs? Like can the ACC have more depth? Uh, You know, well, well, maybe we'll start this one off with you, Aria and kick to Michael um, in that kind of middle to bottom range. Yeah. I mean, I think your absolute floor, um, those, those three like teams that I think we all believe won't be very good. I mean, Wake, I mean, shoot, man, Forbes, Forbes has himself a rebuild. Um, Boston College, who. Oh, yeah. I, just, I, I can't believe Boston College. <laughs> yeah, Boston College at one point had pride, man. Like, you know, they had Rice and, and they had Dudley and they had, you know, Williams. And, and I mean, it just used to be such a good program. <laughs> and that it's, and um, it's amazing to me that they've been such a rotating door at head coach. Uh, up there um Pittsburgh probably not going to be that much better when they lost you know they lost McGowan's which is kind of a big deal um but Capel I think will get that right in a few years and then Notre Dame I think is where you start that like middle tier right like where you said Notre Dame BT um I think we've always we've all come to expect NC State to just be good but not great and until they prove that they're better than just good um that's a 20 and 10 team 19 and 11 team every single season for me until they figure it out um Clemson I'm actually higher on I think Clemson's got a chance to be solid um right up there they could battle for that six to eight range um with Georgia Tech and Miami and um Cuse is a question mark guys like I don't I don't know I don't know what they're gonna do I actually I think Beheim's on his way out can his son take a step forward can uh JG3 uh Joseph Gerard can can he continue to play well um losing Elijah Hughes was massive like that was that's the kind of guy who could drop 30 with a bum hamstring, you know, like, like we saw. So uh, that's probably the middle tier for me, Michael. I don't know. I, I just think like you guys have, we've mentioned throughout this first segment is there was a huge drop off between that top group and, and the middle and the bottom. Yeah. I think the, the questions for those teams are just, there's too many red flags. It's, and it's sad that Pitt and BC and wake all used to have an identity and now they stink. Uh, Virginia Tech. I mean, they, they've got they've got Coach Young in there. He's, he's you know he was at Wofford for like a hundred years. Is he really going to be able to get it done in the ACC? He lost not with the talent they have. Yeah, they lost Landers Nolly, the one the one really talented player they had transferred out of the program. Um, you know, so I, I think the bottom tier is probably uh, those t- Pitt, Virginia Tech, BC, Wake, and then you know that middle tier is like Notre Dame, Miami, Syracuse, Clemson, NC State. NC State has uh, what's his name Bates, who's who's going to be a hell of a player. But I don't know if you can really how much you can build around that guy. But it's, did Thunderbird come back? Did he is he back? Is it was he like a twelfth year guy or something? I I think he could be going on his like seventh year, and and then heck, yeah. if he gets another year with I don't even think this year counts. So yeah, Thunderbird's back. Thunderbird's yeah. back, Matt. Yeah. Thunderberg, Devin Daniels, Thomas Allen, you know, Braxton Beverly. Is that how many, how many, how many? Sounds like a 1911 team to me. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. So they're 2011 until they're not. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm going to put you all on the spot then. So let's say that we would have had five tournament teams last year, um, but that was with UNC uncharacteristically bad. And I think that it's just unrealistic to think that they're going to miss the tournament two years in a row. Um, so let's assume that there would be, I'm going to set the over under at uh, six ACC tournament teams 
qualifying for whatever NCAA tournament, assuming it's it's played and we have 68 teams, would you say over or under six ACC teams in the dance this year? Michael? Well, I think you got five locks with Virginia Duke, UNC, Florida State, Louisville. So are we going to get two teams out of that, out of that middle tier? Uh, oh, man. Georgia Tech, maybe NC State, maybe, you know, and I, I think that uh, I'm going to take the under, but I think it's going to end up being six. Okay. Aria? I think I'm going to go a little more optimistic than Michael and say one over. Uh, so I'll take the over by one. I, I actually think Georgia Tech will, will make, and maybe I'm biased because I cover them so much, but I, I think they've been building towards this um, with this older team. And um, they had a really good end of the year last year. So like I, I think Georgia Tech makes it too to kind of give you that sixth borderline lock um, outside of the five that Michael mentioned. And then I, I think I'll just place I'll place my uh, my odds to go yes to one more team outside of there making it. So I'll go over, but slightly. I think I'm I think I'm with Aria on this. I, I do think that the five, like you said, Michael are the locks, and then I would say that two of NC State, Georgia Tech, Notre Dame, and Miami make it. I don't I don't think we gave more than seven, but I think two of those find a way to scratch in NC state. will I think be helped They're They're usually hurt by a horrible schedule. They'll be helped by the fact that this year, the schedules are weird and you're just going to play more conference games. I think that'll actually help NC state's cause. Um, all right. So I want to pivot here. And so Aria, as we mentioned, Aria is, is sort of the play-by-play voice of the FSU women's basketball team. And through that, you've had a chance to actually cover uh, or go to all the facilities, I think in the ACC uh, landscape yeah. here. So, you know, as, as folks, we, we often talk about on this podcast and just you know, on the boards and stuff that, Hey, part of the name of the game is being able to attract talent to your school. And some of that is relationships. And some of that is uh, things that you see in the news from Adidas and whatnot. Uh, but some of it is also facilities. And so what, what do you think are that when you've visited, you know, give me the top three facilities that you've seen in the ACC, are you? And you're talking specifically basketball facilities, right? Not basketball facilities, yeah. Basketball. Okay. Uh, number one basketball facilities, uh, when you talk about stadiums for me, uh, arenas as Louisville. Uh, KFC Yum Center is majestic. I mean, it is incredible. Um, they actually even have, like NBA teams have, they have another practice facility that's inside of the KFC Yum Center mm. uh, to practice uh, on, a, on a court. And then they have their practice facility, too. Um, Duke Cameron indoor is so not impressive when you go in that it kind of knocks down their facilities as a whole, but then they make up for it with their basketball center. So, um, <laughs> they, they, they definitely make up for it, um, with their, their actual basketball specific facility. Um, that's not a hundred year old stadium. Um, so that that's up there, Virginia JPJ is gorgeous. I mean, it is, it is a spectacle. It is beautiful. It is, it is a ton of fun, aesthetically pleasing to, to walk in there, and their campus might be the prettiest in the ACC. Um, and then, I hope I don't miss one, uh, Georgia Tech, McCamish Pavilion is really nice, and Little John Coliseum is really nice as well. Um, from the places that, that I've been um, that have uh, top basketball facilities, UNC's is actually not as nice as y'all think. It's really, it's really not as special. Where do, where do you put uh, – where does Florida State fall in? I mean, you don't have to, like, give me an exact number, but if we were tiering it out, are we bottom tier or, you know, mid, we're certainly not top tier with that Louisville and, and Virginia level. But where do you see Florida State in there? 
we we tried to make what like the, we we had like a tier three there that we tried for the teams. Yeah, I think it's like right in that you know right in that seven to ten range. It's it's not bad. The Tucker Center's renovations have helped a lot, and the basketball training center that FSU has is not is really not the worst in the league. Like it's actually in the probably top you know seven or eight. Um, it's a pretty nice facility, but yeah, it's not. When you look around and you go to Clemson and you go to Georgia Tech, two teams that achieve less than Florida State but have nicer facilities. Um, NC State has really nice facilities. I just yeah. hesitate to call it their own because they play, you know, where the Hurricanes play. It's not really theirs. The Hurricane um, NHL team, and it's right? not on campus. Yeah, right. The NHL team. Um, so they share that arena. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of nice places in the ACC, guys. Um, Pitt has the decent facilities as well. Notre Dame, uh, the Joyce Center is is really nice. Um, but yeah, Florida State's right there. I think safely in the top ten, and you could argue seven to ten anywhere in there. Michael, when, when you, you know, you're out on the West coast and, and so you see, I, okay. I hear folks say like, Oh, come on. What, what, there can't possibly be schools. that are these small little, you know, name your Gonzaga or name your Creighton or whatever that has nicer facilities than Florida state. What, what do you, when you look at like a, I don't know, a Gonzaga or a, or a St. Mary's, what, what are those facilities kind of look like in terms of your lower level uh, high majors? Uh, well, Gonzaga's facilities are, are far superior to Florida State. They've got they've got they've got <laughs> legit uh, training centers and and uh, it's a, you know their arena is nice. And then uh, St. Mary's is a dump. I mean, it's a it's a it's a small little gym. They don't they don't have much in terms of training facilities. It's sorry, my dog is going crazy in the background. Um, and so and so it's kind of a mixed bag. Yeah, I agree I mean, with you. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of a mixed bag. But if, if you if you if you go to, uh, um, uh, you know, like University of San Francisco or Pacific or those places, it's they're they're not on they're not on par at all with with ACC uh, facilities. But then if you look at the, at the bigger schools, you know, UCLA, USC, Cal, you know, they they're they're putting some legit money into their into their basketball facilities, and and uh, yeah, they look good. Aria, do you hear, uh, like, when you're around the women's program or anything, or just when you're, you know, or even the men's, because I know a lot of times the women and men's programs often end up, you know, having uh, practices near each other or same, you know, similar times and stuff. Do you hear folks talking about the facilities when you go on road trips? Do they say, like, oh, man, are they kind of looking around and talking about, look at, you know, look at these renovations that Clemson's just done? What was it, a couple hundred million? I mean, do they talk about it? Oh, yeah. I think, you know, people are definitely aware. Um, that's one of the things I know um, Ham and, and Coach Semrau, uh, Sue, they, they really want to change is the fact that they've they just got to coordinate so much that, the, you know, the basketball training center, they have to share it. Um, so one team and Hamilton typically would prefer to just practice in the Tucker Center um, for many reasons. Um, so they do that when they can so that it, it causes less of a problem. But that's something I think, you know, some of the bigger programs like a Duke, um, Certainly, Carolina, like they, they have their own facilities for men and women. And matter of fact, fellows, Duke, Coach K's old facility was so nice that he, when he built the new one, he gave it to Duke's women's program. So you walk into Duke's women's basketball training center and you're like, wow, <laughs> this is nicer than most men's basketball <laughs> training. I mean, <laughs> it's just, it's beautiful. And so, yeah, again, without, you know, I don't want to compromise my position with the school and things, you know, there's got to be some more money that's thrown into basketball, Florida State. If, like Michael said, 
for sustainability. If you if you want to if you want to be an elite school, you've got to start spending like it too for the long term. And um, I think I think you're starting to see that though a little bit. They should be pretty pretty close to done with a, a team team like lounge and, and team facilities that are more you know nicer for for recreational activities for the kids um, yeah. here soon in the next year or so. Yeah. Well, and I don't think, I mean, it's not like you're telling the school anything that, that they, I think they know they need to invest in the facilities, but, you know, oftentimes it, it comes down to, you know, how much are the fans committed and willing to invest, right? Like these, these things don't build themselves. And so when, when folks, as I'm sure it's been a tough year for a lot of uh, schools and booster programs and stuff, but uh, when, when you're looking at projects to build, it, it certainly helps when you have folks step up and, you know, especially make, pledges to specifically a program, right? Like you can uh, pledge, I think your support to this, to the tip, the tip off programs or whatnot, or, or uh, earmark your money to go towards, you know, a women's basketball program or the men's basketball program that has been so successful for so long. Uh, it, we appreciate your yeah, insight. I mean, uh, Aria, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. We, I'll give you a chance to, no, you're good. Uh, to kind of close out there, but we really enjoyed having you on and just the perspective that you bring from across the ACC. And uh, we're going to have to do this again sometime. Yeah, no doubt. And I think I was just going to end with, you know, Rogner is on the West coast, but I think he gets a gauge of it on social media and just following. I mean, but you know, Matt, you and I have kind of been in Tallahassee for a long time. And uh, my only point was like last year to me and maybe the year before, but definitely last year was like the first true renaissance that I kind of like felt was was legitimate in Florida State basketball where with the fan base caring and packing out six seven eight ACC games sold out and having those big crowds and non-conference attendance was up a tick um, I, I think we're to get to where we want to get as a basketball program um, the fan base is important the support is important to get these facilities to be able to send an email that says hey can you donate to the basketball program and not having them be like yeah, but I'm already donating to football, you know, right. like, like last year for me was the, was the first time I think I felt the city of Tallahassee truly, and I don't want to say care because they've cared before, but truly start to have a buzz around a basketball program and become almost a basketball city for a year, tailgating before the games, going to Madso in college town and, you know, tailgating out. I mean, it was just like, there, it was a zoo for some of these games. And I, it was so heartwarming for me who, started going to games when Robinson was the, was the head coach. And, you know, when you made the NIT, you would kind of high five because it meant the season lasted a little longer. And if you got 3000 people in the arena, it was a good day unless Duke was playing in Tallahassee. We're starting to see it. Like, I think we're starting to see it and maybe it's football being down. That could definitely be a part of it. But I think Florida State basketball is here to stay and as a culture. And I think it's important. And the new blood thing is awesome. And that recruiting class is awesome. And I just, I just really believe basketball is about to uh, take off in Tallahassee and be here for the long haul. Well, we hope you are right, sir. I, I really hope that there's no, dis I mean, obviously there's going to be a disruption, but that the momentum isn't completely lost with a lot of the fan restrictions that are of course um, COVID related. So I, I really hope that folks, if they get an opportunity to go out and even just like you said, um, go to one game or, or support, uh, that's, that's, it's, it's a fun time to be around, as you said, for someone who went to a lot of games when there was less than a thousand people in the arena, it's, it's a fun, big guard. You is a fun place to be <laughs> right now. Um, Aria, we're going to, we're going to let you go and, uh, we'll, we'll have to have you back on during the season. Yep. Thanks guys. You guys be safe and talk to you soon.
Yeah. yeah great talking to you. Bye. Uh, that was great to, that was good to have him on. I, you know, we see, we've, I see him at most of the games and he's, he's just got a great perspective given his, his uh, travels around the, the ACC. Uh, all right, Michael, I think we need to pay some bills. So let's head to break real quick. And when we come back, we will zoom in on Florida state specifically and look at the upcoming season. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right. We, uh, so that was a great conversation about the ACC in general. It seems like we have some consensus that FSU should remain as one of the tier one teams this year. So let's talk about FSU. Uh, what we have, we have a lot of talent coming back. We also lost a lot of talent going to be, uh, you know, have, have three guys that will probably be playing professionally next year, two of which will be high draft picks, but what do you see Michael as, as FSU starting five or, or does the starting five even matter? Um, yeah. I mean, it kind of matters. The finishing five is, is way more important. Uh, Ham tends to start the, the, you know, tends to coach the first half in one particular style. And then the second half he's, he's really closing down the, uh, uh the rotation. Uh, but yeah, we lost, you know, Devin, Trent, we're, we're both starters. Dom started a bunch of games. So we're down some starters. Who's it going to be? I think Balsa is probably going to start games just to, just to win the tip. I don't know how long, how, how long he'll be in there, but. but the old Chris Kamaji uh, start. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and it's not that I'm not expecting Balsa to be good this year. It's just, we, we, we got a lot of guys. Uh, MJ, I think is the one lock who's definitely going to be in, in the, in the starting five. And so then the, the other three spots are kind of up for grabs. And I would take Raquan Evans just so that we're starting the game with a true point guard on the floor. Um, Raquan Gray will have the, will have the twin Raycons out there starting. Um, could be Osborne, could be Gray, but I'll go with Gray. And then Scotty Barnes, who, who is, uh, gonna be really tough to keep out of any lineup whether it's the starting five or the finishing five or or the or the middle five yeah no i oftentimes you're right in that i think it does matter who starts but maybe not as important as it is at most schools uh and, and to your point i think you oftentimes see a see a substitution pattern that lends itself to about 11 guys playing in the first half and then a substitution pattern. It's like, it's almost like Hamilton figures out, okay, of these 11, who's got it today. And then I'll roll with eight in the second half. Um, but I, you know, the minutes thing is almost what's maybe more interesting to me. So does, does someone play the 32, 33 minutes a game? Like we saw with Trent last year. I think MJ Walker is going to be there. I think he's, he's, he is going to be totally critical to this team's success and they're going to want him out there a lot. Um, I think for the non starting five that I just picked um, Anthony polite, I don't, you know, I certainly don't see him playing 31 or 32 minutes a game, but I think, but I think he's probably going to average more minutes than a couple of the starters. Yeah. I, I think you're spot on with polite. So polite brings two. first of all, he brings 
incredible defensive perimeter defense and just defensive awareness. And secondly, he, he stretches the floor with a shot. Uh, so I think you're right. So he played, I'm looking at it. He played 49% of the team's minutes last year. I would be shocked if, if Anthony polite is under 55% this year. So, you know, what, whatever, whether that's starting, finishing, what have you, um, more than half the minutes of the game. So Trent Forrest led the team last year with 76% of the minutes, uh, of the possible minutes uh, played. So the second, the second guy was, was MJ, or excuse me, second guy was Devin Vassell. MJ was at 52%, but I think that's down because he didn't play. Remember he was, he had was nagging injury there in the beginning of the season and, and really he had a couple games where really he only played a few minutes. Um, so you would expect MJ to be over at least the 60, 65% minutes mark, right? Assuming, assuming health. Yeah, I'm thinking 65 to 70, maybe, maybe maybe 70, like somewhere right in there, assuming, you know, he missed, I think, five games last year, which is going to, when you're looking at percentage of minutes, it's, it's going to definitely bring that down. And so 70, if he, if he were, you know, playing every game is, is almost 30 minutes a game. So somewhere, or somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah, no, I, I think we, that sounds about right. Now, the, the Osborne Gray question is a good one, um, you know, for me, when I think about finishing lineups, I often think about free throw shooting, uh, particularly in, in closer games, which I think, I think this year just is going to lend itself to closer games because one, it's mostly conference play and two, everybody had sort of disrupted off seasons. So Raekwon Gray is right at about a 70% free throw, free throw shooter. Malik Osborne, uh, although his stroke looks nice, is actually um, about 10% lower than that in, in a limited sample size. Is that going to fact, does that mean that maybe Gray sees more of the minutes down the stretch uh, or, or do you need Osborne's ability to stretch a defense and, and, grab uh defensive rebounds osborne was the best defensive rebounding by uh, by percentage on the team last year yeah I th- the coaches just like raekwon gray they they uh you know they see him doing a lot of different little things and and if he could shoot then he you know he would be a star shoot it from three he would be he well would then be he a would star. be a lottery pick <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. and malik osborne i don't know if you've seen pictures of him lately but that dude is jacked like he yeah. he yeah. spent his COVID time well in the gym um but yeah so it, it's it's one of those things where i think that you know gray or osborne if you're looking at a finishing five like one of those guys is going to be out there some maybe maybe both of them but they they both bring that that uh you know size to the table when you're when you're switching so they're they're generally you know you can you can you can play them down in the post in the small lineup either one of them and so they're they're kind of interchangeable whoever's having the good game and whatever matchups the the coaches like sure and foul trouble uh as well i i just you know osborne has just developed into such a strong rebounder that especially losing someone like dom uh and 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 uh trent who is a great rebounding guard I don't know. I, I, I'm wondering sometimes if, if is he even going to be the starter because of that? But I, I do, I do agree with you that the, the staff likes gray and, and for good reason, gray does a lot of little things that don't show up on a box score. Uh, like you said, if, if he was better than nine for 41 from three last year, he, he may have been um, flirting with a, with a professional career. So there's a guy we haven't talked about yet and that's Sardar Calhoun. And so this is someone who is, 
probably at a at an echelon higher than maybe a lot of JUCO transfers who come in in terms of his skill and athletic ability. If you've seen video of him, I mean, this this dude is in the gym a lot. He is jacked. He uh, can throw down windmills with ease, and his his range the. The, he doesn't have to change his mechanics the, as deeper and deeper he gets out. He has such elevation on his jump shot nat- naturally that his range sometimes seems limitless. I, I know you have to consider um, Juco defenses, but I'm talking about just his mechanics in terms of pulling up from 35 feet. It, is Calhoun, I can't imagine he's a starter un, unless he is just absolutely wowing in practice mainly because it takes people a little while to learn our defensive principles, but is he someone that sees 45, 50% of the minutes? Absolutely. I think that the, you know, you, you, you hit the spot and that he, he was like a 46 or 47% uh, three point shooter in Juco. And that translates. And unless something weird happens like Raekwon Gray or, or, or Nathaniel Jack suddenly turns into a 50%, you know, three point shooter, we have to have Calhoun out on the floor, you know, Wyatt Wilkes can kind of do the same thing, but he's limited in a, in a lot of other, uh, you know, he certainly doesn't have the athleticism of Calhoun. And so I think that Calhoun is one of those guys who's just going to slowly work himself into more and more minutes. And by the end of the year, he's, he would, he would definitely be on my, you know, sort of the finishing five lineup. I don't know that he'll ever be on the starting lineup, but I think, I think he's got a good chance to average double, double figures and points, which is hard to do when you're playing 11, 12 guys. But I think that him and Scotty and MJ Walker are probably going to lead the team in scoring. Yeah, no. So Calhoun, I'll, I'll be honest. I think the floor of this year's team is is lower than last year's let's just call that off the top you don't have Trent Forrest at point guard uh, so the floor of this year's team is lower than last year's and I think you're going to see that floor early on you know it's a weird off season they didn't get a lot of the they, they didn't have a lot of the structures in place that they normally do and so I, I just think early in the season yeah there's going to be some like oh where where is all the great offense that we saw last year and these turnovers that's just going to be college basketball uh, so I think you're going to see the floor of this team early on, but the ceiling of this team, I, I, I don't know is actually that much lower than the ceiling of, of last year's team, uh, which for what it's worth, I actually thought the ceiling of two years ago team might've been a little higher if they had stayed healthy. Uh, but the reason why is because in my mind of Calhoun, I, I think that to your point, if by February or March, Calhoun is a guy who is understanding the defensive principles coming off the bench, you know, going three for seven from three each game, which is very easily done for a guy as a, of his skill set. That's nine points right there. You get a breakaway dunk. You're already at 11. Uh, I, I think that the March ceiling of this team could be dependent on how, how adept Calhoun is at translating into the, to the D one game. And if he makes that transition quickly, it could be something else. Yeah, I, I wonder about the defense. And and I think that if, if everything gels on this team, I think that the defense could be as good as last year, if not even better. I mean, we've got more athletic big men. Um, to we kind of talk f- about in GOM, right? Right, yeah, I know. And, and it's like trading him for Dom is, is, a, is a pretty good trade in our favor. Plus, Paul yeah. says – Balsa's got another year in the weight room and, and he's actually, you can, you can see that he has muscles on his body. He's not really all jacked up yet, but 
but he's 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 getting bigger and then you know the young guys are the guys that we think of as young anthony polite he's 23 years old he's not young um anthony polite and and, and raekwon you know they're just more time in the system mj walker you know the, the the defense has a chance to be you know sneaky really really good and i know that we lost forrest and devin vassell and pat williams who could all who could all play defense but i i think that that could really carry the team especially early and especially in, in the COVID times where a lot of the teams that we are, that we're playing maybe have more new guys and, and aren't getting a ton of practice time. And, um, and so I, I, I think that could really carry the load early. So, so the defense carries the load, you know, Scotty Barnes is probably the best defensive recruit in basketball. Uh, maybe with the exception of, of someone, you know, like Evan Mobley, like a big man, but I would say the best non big man defensive basketball recruit coming in uh, to the college ranks this year. And, and so he's someone that I think will just, you know, have an easier time transitioning in, in Hamilton's defensive system and be such a versatile piece that, you know, maybe not even miss a beat there. So if defense carries us um, and we assume for these conversations, good health for guys like MJ Walker, which is going to be critical to the success of the team. It may come back to that floor spacing three point shooting guys like polite guys like Wilkes guys like Osborne, like, can they be 38% shooters as opposed to 33% shooters? And so here's my question to you in 2017, uh, which was the year that we sort of first saw the fruits of this new sort of positionless system. We didn't quite have the same, uh, interchangeableness of, of players yet, but that was when we were first really tra- transitioning there. Uh, and PJ Savoy, so we made the tournament. PJ Savoy was actually sort of a relevant revelation on that team and helped space that floor so that guys like Bacon and Xavier Rathan Mays could, could slash and get to the rim. Uh, PJ Savoy went 40 of 100 from three that year for an even 40%. Uh, he, he came off the bench. He only played, get this, 16% of a total minutes, but he went 40 of 100 from three. So I ask you, over, under, Calhoun makes 43s. And before you say, well, this is a shortened season, Savoy did that in 28 games. So over, under, Calhoun makes 43s. I will take the over. I mean, he he is – he – He's a. We we've had a few guys in the past like Savoy who all they do is shoot threes and he, and Calhoun's kind of one of those guys like he is always looking to shoot threes and yeah and Florida State is going to have to play fast this year I know that we say this every year but the, for the offense to be effective we're going to have to be getting up and down the court which is why we have Scotty Barnes and Anthony Polite and and Raquan Evans all the you know these multiple ball handlers who can all who can all initiate the break and he's going to get a ton of opportunities and he's going to have some games where. You know, I think he shoots like 10 or 11 threes. And so I, I, I'll, I'll take the over. I'm with you. I don't know that he's going to be 40%. That's a phenomenal mark by PJ. Way to, way to come in there and get it done, buddy, uh, that 20, 2017 year. Remember, though, we've stepped the three-point line back since then, right? I don't, for folks who have forgotten, we're, we're about a foot further back. So I don't know that he's going to come in and hit 40%. I do think he makes 40. And I think he makes 40 because he's going to have a couple of like seven for 11 games. Um, and and honestly, he may even, you know, set an FSU, he may come out and have like a nine of 13 game. Like I, I would not put it past that kid. So, um, I do think he hits 40 and I think if maybe more importantly, he can just be a 37, 38% guy in ACC play that that will allow 
guys like MJ Walker and polite to not be um, the center of attention so much because for everything that Scotty Barnes is, he does not right now have a reliable jump shooter and, and every scout in the ACC will know that this isn't a secret we're giving away. Um, so they're going to make improve it in terms of making jump shots. Um, all right, let's look at, we're going to quickly transition here over the next month. We'll have a lot of in-depth coverage of uh, previewing the season uh, both on the pod and, and in articles on Tomahawk Nation. Uh, but let's look ahead a little bit. We alluded to it uh, earlier in the pod that, you know, we really are just trying to find that baby bear just right uh, mix there of talent and returning uh, seniors and experience. And next year's recruiting class, as we've mentioned before, is loaded. But it took a hit uh, when Bryce McGowan's, the guy that I called out on the past pod as maybe the one I was most excited about in terms of like that top end ceiling uh, decommitted. He decommitted saying he wanted to explore his options. He had, it had been since February. Obviously the world has changed since February. His brother is now at Nebraska and uh, he decommitted. He announced the top five. Florida state is still in that top five. Um, so I think I have two questions for you, Michael. Do you expect him back? I mean, what are the odds of him of, of getting a guy back into the class after they decommit? And um, what does that do if, if he does or does, if he is or isn't part of the class, how does that change the class? Well, if I, if I did the crystal ball stuff on, on 247, then I would probably be picking him to Nebraska, but with a really low you know, likelihood. I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be surprised if he's back at Florida State, but I don't think that Florida State is in any, any way leading. I think it's likely that he ends up in Nebraska, play with his brother. His parents can, and family can travel uh, a lot less in, you know, in times of COVID and see both guys playing at the same time. Um, and because they'll have to travel to see overall... him play because they won't be able to see him play much on right. TV at Nebraska. Just tossing that out there. Yeah. And you can get, yeah, you can get really good seats at a Nebraska game too. Yeah. So they've actually got a great work. arena. And uh, <laughs> so, Hey, it all works. It all works yeah. out. And they'll win five, five big 10 games and everybody and, will be and happy. Yeah. You know, people will see him at the conference tournament once. <laughs> yeah. so the, the the impact on the overall class i mean we've still got the number one class in the country and and you know we'll likely end up with you know top five or top six or something class and it, it's a hit because you know obviously florida state's never had three five stars coming in at one time and 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 you you want to see that but you know matthew cleveland jalen worley john butler mcleod that's 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 still just a really top-notch class um, we've we've hardly touched on Jalen Worley, uh, you know, in our in our in our recruiting pods, but you know that that guy is, and I bring him up because I I said I was going to after the last pod, but that guy's this a player that you look at and you watch him run up and down the court and and you're thinking, okay, this is a five star, but he's he's not crazy athletic, he's not a, a super good shooter, or a beautiful shot, he's. He's, he, he can dribble, he can pass, like, but, but nothing really jumps out at you as being a five-star talent or a five-star star skill. And then you check the box score at the end of the game and he totally dominated. Yeah, so he's he just, controls the whole game. 
Yeah, he's just this guy who is a basketball player, and, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm really excited to, to see him play. I would I would be more upset if he com- if he decommitted than than with Bryce. I mean, I love I love McGowan's game and, and I love Cleveland's game, but I think that Jalen Worley is really the, the the quiet kid in this class that could come in and just be a hell of a player at Florida State from day one. Yeah, no. So Bryce Bryce has a flashier game for sure, and and. I, I hope I hope he makes the best choice for himself. I don't ever want to disparage a kid. I mean, I've been through that situation of having him trying to pick a college or pick a program that fits for you, and I, ho- I hope he makes the best choice for himself. I, I think he could fit in really well at Florida State. That's not – I mean, he must think that. He already committed there once. So I, I think that everyone knows that his length, his athleticism, his ability to shoot, pass, uh, handle the ball is a really good fit for what we run. And it's very similar to Matthew Cleveland's game, uh, maybe a little bit better of a shooter than Cleveland. And, and so you have that positional functional overlap, which most pe- some people would say bad, but actually at our system, that's good. That just allows more flexibility and more, more chess uh, moving the chess pieces around. But I do think I get what you're saying that if I hear you correctly, Jalen Worley's skill and, and just his ability to control a game from start to finish is perhaps um, less easily replaced. Like there's maybe we could go and find another wing kind of like um, Bryce McGowan's, or we could go find a big point like a Josh uh, Minot or, or, you know, some, there's other recruits out there that can kind of replicate some of the skills that Bryce McGowan's brings to the table. Maybe not quite at the five-star level of McGowan's, but Worley, if I hear you correctly, is just that's something that we haven't really had at Florida State mm-hmm. in like a Jalen Brunson or or don't don't go crazy on me here. But maybe even at the same stage of, of development, high school, like a poor man's Devin Booker from from Kentucky and the Phoenix Suns. I'm not calling him a future all pro, but that same kind of game. Yeah, and and I, th- I think you pr- pr- pretty much nailed it. It, it kind of reminds me of Dwayne Bacon and Malik Beasley. They they came in at the same time, played on the same team. Beasley was one and done, but but Bacon was the more valuable player. You know? Yeah. So, uh, and I, I think we could be seeing the same thing. And with with, with McGowan's, you know, it's kind of weird in that I, I you, you mentioned he released a top five, and LSU and Georgia are on there. And if if he ends up at one of those schools, that will be. That will be a big disappointment. If he goes to Nebraska, that's fine. But just as a fan, you know, this this article came out last week in Sports Illustrated where they were talking about how the FBI and the NCAA's inability to do anything about cheating has has really freed up um, schools with a lot of money, like the SEC, to just kind of double down on their you know obvious payments to players and, and LSU and Georgia are are obviously, you know, LSU, they've got the smoking gun and Georgia, everybody knows they cheat. And, and, and it's just, it's super, it'd be super frustrating if he picks one of those schools. Um, so I personally, I'm hoping that if he doesn't come back to Florida State, that he ends up at, at Nebraska or, or, or Michigan, but but we shall see. Yeah, the fact that Will Wade is still coaching basketball, I think has emboldened everybody. I mean, if that guy who can be on essentially a podcast for what it, basically and say things like, we're going to make a strong ass offer, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like that's what it I know he wasn't on a podcast but by the time he gets plays on HBO special mm-hmm. it basically is like one if, if he is still coaching with no repercussions at all I, I think that that's pretty good indication that you can do anything you want right now in the wild wild west of college basketball uh I'll, I'll counterpoint though and say that hey if he ends up at Georgia or LSU 
then kind of like Anthony Edwards, I'm really not sure he would have been a great fit here anyways. Like it, mm-hmm. it's one of those things that, is it frustrating? Yes. Would that actually maybe have not then been a good, we don't thrive by having guys who want to freelance and take a lot of inefficient shots and quite honestly, maybe be Malik Beasley to be, to be if, I, if I'm being honest. Uh, we, we thrive when we have people who are, when we have Patrick Williams, who's willing to come off the bench, despite going to be a lottery pick and do the things that we're asking him to do in the system. Uh, that's when we are winning 26, 27, 29 basketball games. So if Bryce McGowan's makes that choice of UGA or LSU, it could be an indication that it maybe is better that we move on someone that has a little bit more buy-in to the kind of team selfless philosophy that, that makes Florida state successful. Yeah, that's a good point. So uh, I, anyone else that we should be aware, I know there's some 2022 guys that I don't want to start. I don't want to be that guy who's already talking about 2022. So maybe we'll leave that on the table for another uh, pod, but anyone else in the 2021 class that we maybe should have our eyes on. You know, I wonder if, if we kind of kind of missed out on, on, on some of the guys. I mean, like, I, I don't even know who to name at this point, but like Efton James Reed. White. Yeah, James White. Yeah, certainly, you know, James White was probably somebody that we could have landed. Um, but in, ter- in terms of big fish, there's, there's not much left out there. Um, so I, I, I wonder if they're going to – if because but the transfer of the, market, the new rules, this, right? Yeah, it could be crazy. And so you want, you want to save some space, even though we might not, they might not count against your scholarships. You might be able to have more than 13 guys on scholarship, but you still have to find the right guys, the right fit, the right whatever. And so we, we might want to just save a, a, a space or two um, for, for the transfer market. I'm with you. I love that idea. I think you, uh, you, you of course, give, give, Bryce, I mean, hey, I still want Bryce at Florida State. I hope he, I hope he picks Florida State. Mm-hmm. You you let him make his decision. Maybe you go and kick the tires on uh, Mano down at down in South Florida and just see if he's interested in in decommitting since some space freed up. Maybe maybe you kick the tires there. Otherwise, um, yeah, I say save the space and just get ready for a crazy off season of mm-hmm. of stuff. Um, all right. I think, I think, you know, we, this has been a good pod. We probably kind of start wrapping it up there. I did want to toss out that. So the basketball season for college starts November 25th, the NBA season, which just wrapped up uh, actually is having their NBA draft on November 18th. So it's it's kind of a, like a appetizer for the season starting because you can get all the highlights and hear about all the guys that just left the college basketball uh, universe and, and it should, quite honestly, it should be a highlight night of Florida State. Florida State, as we've talked about, is probably going to be the only school with multiple lottery picks and is certainly going to have two first-round draft picks. So um, if you're looking for some basketball Florida State fun coming up, I would tune into the NBA draft on November 18th. Yeah, I don't know about those two first-round picks anymore. I mean, if you follow Twitter a couple of weeks ago, people were losing their mind over <laughs> – a video that leaked of Devin Vassell and his shot looked a little different. Did you see anything about that? I um, <laughs> I think I'm picking up on your sarcasm here. Yeah, you've got a lot of uh, Billy badasses on the internet that mm. see see a 10 second clip of of Devin Vassell shooting 35, 40 foot threes, uh, and and suddenly proclaiming that they would pass on on him uh, because because he <laughs> can't shoot now or something. His form is bad. 
Uh, yeah, no, I saw that. And let me, I guess I'll just, first of all, the, the fact, this is the problem with social media, the people that see 10 seconds of something and are experts. Um, I, I don't give a shit. Let me just say about what a guy's shot looks like. We've seen if you, Sean Marion had a horribly ugly shot uh, and, and he was an all-star and, and, and then we, you know, not to even mention guys like Larry Bird that sort of had that overhead release. Devin Vassell is a guy who has proven at, at ample sample size that he can shoot the three and, and he can shoot it certainly off the catch and even a little bit off the bounce. And, and frankly, his shot is, is while a little slow, the high, the high release point is makes it harder to even block. Um, what, is he tinkering on things with his shot, you know, mechanics, maybe, is he working on some strength to get, to get it that out there a little bit, you know, 30, 40 feet, maybe, but here's what I know. He's a guy who is an elite team defender. He is able to rebound, uh, and, and play out of positionally def- defensively. He can guard the two and three legitimately, maybe can slide down on a, on a slim four. If, if, you know, he's having to guard someone like a Robert Covington, um, and, and he is just, he's going to be in the gym to do the things that create winners. Uh, you look at the teams that he was on, he took himself from a, not even a top 200 recruit to a lottery pick here in, in two years with his work ethic. And you're telling me that you'd rather guys like Isaac Okoro who can't even shoot, forget mechanics. They, the ball doesn't go in the hoop and you're going to drop Devin Vassell because his mechanics looked a little funky on five seconds of Twitter feed. Yeah, he once once he's got a hundred million dollars in the bank, maybe he can respond to to Johnny Jones underscore two 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 or whatever whatever out on yeah. out on the social medias. He's if you want to make a bunch of money in the NBA, you you knock down shots over closeouts, and he, he's already proven that he can do that. So. Yeah, he proved that his freshman year, he proved it his sophomore year. Look, if you're looking for a high ceiling guy, then yeah, then you should go draft James Wiseman or or maybe LaMelo Ball or Anthony Edwards or or maybe even Patrick Williams if you're looking for a guy with super high ceiling. But if you're looking for a guy who's going to come in and, and be an immediate contributor to a winning basketball team, then I think you could do a lot worse than Devin Vassell somewhere in the 5 to 10 range. Uh, so anyways, I guess rant over. That draft comes up on the 18th. You can go see if, if Devin Vassell – uh, cares about what people on Twitter say about a shot after he becomes a first round draft pick and, and signs a, a huge contract. Um, Michael, as always, it was fun. I'm going to go check some fantasy scores, uh, fantasy football scores, and, and we'll do this again soon. Sounds good. It was great talking to you. Yep. Bye.